Good morning, brothers and sisters. We extend a warm welcome to everyone who has joined us in church this morning for the worship of our triune God. We also extend a special welcome to all the visitors who have joined us this morning here in church or remotely via the live stream. May we all be comforted and encouraged by the preaching of the gospel of our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ and may our faith be strengthened by the celebration of the Lord's Supper. May God be praised and glorified by our worship. Consistory has the following announcements. Sister Lauren Howling, member of the Free Reformed Church of Cardup Brook, and Brother Sean Dykstra have indicated their intentions to enter into the married state according to the ordinance of God. They desire to begin this holy state in the name of the Lord and complete it to his glory. If no lawful objections are brought forward, the ceremony will take place, the Lord willing, on Saturday the 4th of November at 11am in the Free Reformed Church of Southern River with Reverend D. Poppy officiating. Consistory as elders only will meet tomorrow evening at 8pm and you are reminded that the election for office bearers will take place immediately after this morning's service so could the brothers please remain seated. This morning the worship service will be led by Reverend Poppy and before we commence the worship service let us sing together Psalm 68 verse 12. rise and let's worship the Lord. As God's people, we confess that our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Amen. 
Grace to you and peace from him who is and who was and who is to come, and from the seven spirits who are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, and the ruler of the kings of the earth. Amen. Let's sing a song of praise to our God. We're going to sing together from Psalm 147, the verses 1 and 2. now submit ourselves to the law of the Lord our God. We'll hear the law as it comes to us this morning from Deuteronomy chapter 5. And God spoke all these words saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children 
to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and who keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as the Lord your God commanded you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, you or your son or your daughter or your male servant or your female servant or your ox or your donkey or any of your livestock or the sojourner who's within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife, and you shall not desire your neighbor's house, his field, or his male servant or his female servant, his ox or his donkey, or anything that is your neighbor's. Let's now make a confession of our sin and ask God for his forgiveness, Psalm 25, the verses 3 and 4. Let's now pray to God and let's ask God for his blessing. Almighty and merciful God, we come before you this afternoon, this morning, Lord, and we do so with much gratitude. Thank you that, that you call us into your presence here again this morning. Thank you, Lord, that you do that because you wish to extend your grace to us. You wish to bind us to you in love, to show you your love. Show us your love and to, to draw us to yourself. Father, we thank you that you're honest about sin. One of the things that stands between us is the sins that we commit. We come to you, Lord, and we, we have to confess to you that by nature we follow the desires of our hearts far too much. We offend you because we deliberately transgress some of your laws. Father, we have left undone those things which we have ought to done. We have done those things which we ought not to have done. O Lord, we pray that you would have mercy on us. You've promised that when we confess our sins to you, that you are faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so we come to do so, Lord. We confess that we have not loved you as we ought to, that we haven't put you in the center of our lives. Sometimes our hearts are divided and we pursue other things alongside of you. And we ask you to forgive us for that, Lord, that you show us mercy that you help us to love you and to adore you, to worship you, to be devoted to you, to be loyal to you. 
We ask also, Father, that you would please forgive us for the sins we've committed against the people around us. We don't always love the people around us, Lord. Sometimes they irritate us and annoy us. Sometimes they stand in the way of the things that we want. Sometimes we're selfish and we're proud. Sometimes we're greedy and covetous. Sometimes we're deceptive. Sometimes we're lustful. And Father, these things cause division between us and others. They reveal our hearts and they show that we don't love you and we don't love the people around us as we ought to. And so we confess this to you this morning, Lord, and we pray for your grace. We ask that for Jesus' sake, that you would forgive us for all our sins. We look to the Lord Jesus, and we believe that he suffered in our place. And we believe that he also offered the perfect righteousness that you require of us. And we believe that he did it for us. And so, Lord, through faith in him, we ask that we may be restored to you, that you would continue with us, that you show us mercy and gentleness instead of coming down on us in wrath and in anger. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for the great promise that you will do this for Christ's sake. We ask that we may be encouraged in this promise through the proclamation of the gospel this morning, that we may be further encouraged as we celebrate the sacrament of the Lord's Supper. Give us great joy in you, Lord, in the, the kindness and the gentleness in the grace and mercy that you show us. Fill our hearts with gratitude and bind us to yourself in love and grant that we may love you with all our heart and that we would serve you faithfully as we go from here. Please hear us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, brothers and sisters, this morning I get to preach a short sermon to you about Galatians 5.23, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. And in connection with that, I thought I'd read just a few verses from Colossians 3, the Apostle Paul teaches us there what it looks like to live by the fruit or to live by the Spirit. So we're going to read Colossians 3, the verses 12 through 17. If you want to follow along, you can find that on page 1170 of your guest Bible. So Colossians 1, the, the Apostle Paul teaches us about the preeminence of Christ, that he is supreme. He's the one who has all authority and power on the throne in heaven. Then in chapter 3, the Apostle teaches us how to respond to the grace of God in Christ, that we are to put to death the sinful nature and that we are put on the new nature. That's really the calling of verse 12 there, to put on the new nature. Colossians 3, verse 12, Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you are called in one body. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. So far. Let's now sing together. We're going to sing from Psalm 17, the song of Mary. She was gentle and lowly, and the Lord blessed her in her low estate. So Psalm 17, the verses 1, 2, and 3. 
So the text for the sermon this morning is taken from Galatians 5, verse 23. The fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. Then after the proclamation of God's word, we're going to sing together from hymn 56, the verses 1 and 2. Well, dear brothers and sisters, congregation loved by the Lord Jesus Christ, the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness. So what does it mean to be gentle? Well, to be gentle at root means to be mild or meek. The opposite is to be harsh, to be aggressive, to raise your voice at someone. In 1 Timothy 3, verse 3, when telling us about the necessary qualities of an elder, then the Apostle Paul contrasts these two. He says an elder is not to be violent, but gentle. And that's really the contrast. A gentle person is mild and meek. They're soft. Whereas the opposite of that is to be aggressive, to be violent, to be in your face. Well, to be mild or to be meek, it doesn't mean that you're weak. It doesn't mean you don't have strength. Those who are mild, those who are meek, they're often people who have a great deal of strength, but they're very careful in the way in which they use their strength. So they don't allow their strength to come out in aggressive ways, but they maintain this mild, this meek spirit in their dealings with others. If you are gentle, then then at root what you do is you consider life from the eyes of the other person. You imagine yourself in the other person's shoes, and you think about what life is really like for them. At core, it means that you're deeply considerate of the people around you. You take to heart where they're at in your response to them. Well, one of the great character traits of the Lord our God is that the Lord is a God who is gentle in his dealings with his people. He is a powerful God. He's glorious. He's majestic. He's awesome and he's fearful. And there are times where he, where he acts in anger against people. So the Lord, he is slow to anger. He is gentle and mild. But if people harden themselves in sin, if they know better, and if they continue to sin, and if they just go on and on and on, then finally God's anger is aroused. And when his anger is aroused, then it can be violent. Then mountains melt. Then the earth is shaken to its core. When the Lord gets angry, then we're told that that with the blast of his mouth, he can destroy everything in sight. But for those who look to him in faith, the Lord is very gentle. He's very patient. He's very mild. He's very meek in his dealings with his people. One of the times where he talks about that is when he compares himself to a shepherd. Isaiah 40, verse 11, he will tend his flock like a shepherd. He will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. It's quite a spirit of tenderness here, brothers and sisters. The Lord is very considerate of his people. He he carries those who can't walk. He literally lifts them up and he carries them in his bosom. And then you have those who are pregnant. The scripture says he gently leads them. He's very considerate of the women, in this case of the the sheep, of the ewes that are with, with young. You get the same sense from what David says in Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, 
I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. There's a real spirit of, of stillness, of provision, of kindness in God's dealings with his people. In Psalm 103, verse 13, it gives you another sense. Gentleness is very close to compassion. It gives you another sense of that here. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. That's often what stands at the heart of gentleness, is that you understand the circumstance of the other people. You take to heart where they're at and what they can handle. And you, you deal with them according to their limitations. And that's something that also shows through in God's dealings with his people. You know, one of the, I'll just use one example. One of the places in the Bible that sometimes we see the Lord and we, we think that the Lord is pretty harsh in his dealings with his people, and that's with the Israelites when they're traveling through the desert from Egypt to Canaan. If you read through Exodus and especially read through Numbers, you read all these stories about the people grumbling and complaining and rebelling against Moses at one time, it's 1,000 people here, and it's 3,000 people, and it's 7,000 people, and the Lord's anger just comes down on these people, and you think, wow, like he's pretty intense. That's pretty harsh. But it's really important to realize that's not where it starts. The place it starts with is great gentleness. Moses comes to the Israelites, and he comes to them, and he says, the Lord is going to rescue you out of the land of Egypt. And when Moses first brought that message, then, then Pharaoh got really mad, and he buttoned down, and he said, never mind, he says, the people need to produce as much, but they, they have to find their own bricks and straw, or they have to find their own straw. And so he really knuckled down on the people, and the people were despondent. And when Moses came to them, they didn't believe a word of it. And they didn't, they didn't accept the fact that God could actually do it for them. But there's no word of judgment from the Lord. He's not harsh, he doesn't punish, he doesn't come down on them, he's very gentle with them. Then a little later, they end up getting out of Egypt. Pharaoh comes after them, they're camped against the Red Sea. And when Pharaoh comes after them, then again the people are terrified. And they don't believe that God is going to care for them. They say it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the desert. In Exodus 14. And the Lord is very gentle with them. There's no word of admonition. The Lord just moves between the Egyptians and the Israelites. He protects his people. He makes a way out for them. They get across to the other side of the Red Sea, and they watch their enemies being destroyed before them. Well, the very next chapter, Exodus 15, tells us that the people went three days into the wilderness on the other side of the Red Sea, and they came to a place where there was water, but the water was no good. They called it Mara. It was bitter. And so they complained. Why does the Lord lead us into the desert? You know, we're going to die here. We don't have any water. The Lord's very gentle. He tells Moses, Moses, take this log and throw it into the water, and the water will be healed, and the water becomes sweet, and the people get a drink, and life carries on. Well, in the next chapter, Exodus 16, we're told a couple of weeks after they left Egypt, they're again grumbling against Moses. Would that we had died by the hand of the Lord in Egypt when we sat by the meat pots, and ate bread to the full, for you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger. There's literally no end of their grumbling and complaining. But again, the Lord is very gentle in his dealings with his people. He not only provides manna from heaven, Exodus 16 is the, the first account of the manna coming down, that passage also tells us that he sends them quail. So they get these, these little birds, tastes a lot like chicken apparently. 
these quail come in and the people eat their full of meat and of bread. And again, there's not a hint of judgment. There's another occasion later on in Numbers where the people again get quail and then there is judgment. But the Lord shows us time after time after time after time after time, he is very gentle and he's very patient. He's long-suffering in his dealings with his people. He is slow to anger. He's a God who's meek and who takes into consideration where we're really at. Well, as the Lord has dealt with us, brothers and sisters, he now calls us to deal with each other. In Ephesians 4, verse 1, after telling us about the richness we have in Christ, then Paul continues, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Well, it's quite a list here, brothers and sisters. The first thing that God calls us to since we've been made alive in Christ is he calls us to to this spirit of humility and gentleness, to patience, to bearing with one another in love, and to being eager to maintain unity of faith with each other. Gives you quite a, a sense of what's involved with gentleness. Really closely associated with gentleness is humility. Really, what stands behind both of them is an understanding that you're a sinner, that you're a weak and fallible human being. And when you understand that you yourself are a weak and fallible human being, then when you deal with other people, you do that with gentleness. And when you come before God, you do that with humility. And so the core of it is having a true sense of who you are, of your own sin, of your own weakness, of your own frailties, your own limitations. And when you have that sense, then you can be gentle in your dealings with others. The high priest, the priest, the Lord says in in Hebrews 4, he can deal gently with others because he knows of his own limitations, his own weaknesses. And that's really the sense of what, what lies at the core, at the heart of gentleness. If you want to see it in contrast, then one of the passages that really shows a strong contrast between gentleness and And the opposite is in in James chapter 3. James 3 verse 13, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If you are proud, if you're envious, if you're ambitious in a selfish way, then God says, that you're being unspiritual. He says that's, that's demonic. That comes from the devil. But he says the spirit of God gives people this, this meek wisdom. And that leads his people to be pure. And to be peaceable. To be gentle. To be merciful. To be reasonable. To be impartial. To be sincere. Quite a flavor 
for what gentleness is. We just read together from Colossians 3, and many of these same words are used in Colossians 3 about putting on the new nature. And then one other idea about gentleness in the scripture, brothers and sisters, if you study the word gentleness, then the one context in which it's used primarily is in context when you're in conflict with other people. So there's three passages in the Bible where the Lord calls us to gentleness. And that's especially when other people oppose us. 2 Timothy 2 verse 24, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know they breed quarrels. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance, leading to the knowledge of the truth, and they may escape from the snare of the devil after having been captured by him to do his will. God's servant must be kind to everyone, he must patiently endure evil, and he must gently instruct others. He can't get mad. He can't blow up at people. Just because he's right, that doesn't mean that he has a license in order to go after people and come really hard down on them. The Lord says he must patiently endure evil. He must gently instruct them in the hope that they change. It's the same call in Galatians 6 verse 1. Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And again, 1 Peter 3.15, but in your hearts regard Christ as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. The Lord wants the truthfulness of his word to be modeled by a gentle spirit. Those two go together. The spirit who gives the word, the truth of the word, is the spirit who equips us to bring the word in the same manner that he brings the word, in a gentle way, with respect, with consideration of the people with whom you're dealing. Well, have you ever tried it, brothers and sisters? Some proud, obnoxious person is opposing you, And the ideas that they have are just plainly false. And they're pushing you, and they're pushing your buttons. Sometimes it makes your blood boil. And yet the Lord says, you respond with gentleness, with patience, with meekness, with sincerity. That's the means that God uses so that people can hear it. A harsh word stirs up anger. Or a gentle word, people can hear. Well, are you in? Are you going to do that? Are you capable of that? The only way you can do it is if you have the Spirit. This is a fruit of the Spirit. The Lord Jesus Christ, He was very gentle. Christ faced a lot of opposition. The defining feature of his ministry is that he was opposed. There were people who hated him, and they went after him, and they did it relentlessly. And he patiently instructed the people in the truth. He spoke the truth. And sometimes the truth was pretty, it was pretty harsh. 
Matthew 23 is the harshest. He's got a whole chapter of condemnations. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He has seven woes, which he calls down on these people for all their hypocrisy. And so he's willing to call it out. Yet underneath of that, the spirit in which he dealt with people was that there was a gentleness. There was a patience. There was a real spirit of long-suffering. He offers it to us as well, brothers and sisters. It's in Matthew 11, verse 28. Come to me, all you labor who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, come to me and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart. He talks here about, take my yoke upon you, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Well, in the context within which Christ was preaching, there were many of the Pharisees who talked about the yoke of the law. You need to take on your shoulders the yoke of the law. But then when they talked about the yoke of the law, it was this enormous burden that they put on the people. They twisted the law because they wanted to be self-righteous. And they laid this incredible burden on the people, all these extra laws that they had to follow in order to be right with God. And Lord Jesus comes and he speaks into that and he says, my yoke is easy. That's not what it's about. At core, he teaches us it's about looking to me. It's about believing in me because I've done it for you. I've offered the sacrifice. I've lived the life. I've done what's necessary for you before God so that you can have an open relationship together with God. And so he says, come to me and believe in me. Trust me. Expect your help from me. And then I'll live inside of you. And the gentleness, the lowliness that Christ has, that's something that will live in your heart and that will, that will come out of you. Well, may the Lord give us great faith, brothers and sisters, that we do believe in him. He invites you to the table this morning to remind you of everything that he's done for you. And as you share in him, then may he also fill you with his spirit, that you also reflect that with a spirit that is gentle and lowly. Amen. Let's sing together. We're going to sing together from hymn 56, the verses 1 and 2.
We now have the opportunity to celebrate the Lord's Supper together. To this end, let's first read together the form for the celebration of the Lord's Supper. If you want to follow along, you can find that on page 603 of your Book of Praise. Beloved in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Holy Supper has been instituted by our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to the words of this institution as described by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 11, the verses 23 to 29. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Whoever, therefore, eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup, for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment upon himself. In order that we may now celebrate this holy supper of the Lord to our comfort, we must first rightly examine ourselves. Further, we must use it as Christ intended it, namely to his remembrance. True self-examination consists of the following three parts. First, let everyone consider his sins and accursedness, so that he, humbling himself before God, so that he, detesting himself, may humble himself before God. For the wrath of God against sin is so great that he could not leave it unpunished, but has punished it in his beloved son, Jesus Christ, by the bitter and shameful death on the cross. Second, let everyone search his heart, whether he also believes the sure promise of God that all his sins are forgiven him only for the sake of the suffering and death of Jesus Christ, and that the perfect righteousness of Christ is freely given him as his own, as if he himself had fulfilled all righteousness. Third, let everyone examine his conscience, whether it is his sincere desire to show true thankfulness to God with his entire life, and laying aside all enmity, hatred, and envy to live with his neighbor in true love and unity. God will certainly receive in grace all who are thus minded, and count them worthy to partake of the supper of our Lord Jesus Christ. But those who do not feel this testimony in their hearts eat and drink judgment upon themselves. Therefore, according to the command of Christ and of the Apostle Paul, we admonish all those who know themselves to be guilty of the following offensive sins, that they have no part following offensive sins to obtain from, abstain from the table of the Lord, and we declare to them they have no part in the kingdom of Christ. All who refuse to trust in the Lord alone, or who serve him in their own manner, all who abuse the name of the Lord by cursing or in any other way. All who do not diligently attend the worship services and who despise the proclamation of God's word or the sanctity of the sacraments. All who are disobedient to their parents or to others in authority over them. All who violate human life or cherish hatred against their neighbor and refuse to be reconciled to him. All who either within or outside of holy wedlock do not keep their bodies pure. All who by stealing, greed, or extravagance lead a worldly life. All liars, backbiters, and slanderers. Briefly, all who either in word or conduct 
show themselves to be unbelieving by leading an offensive life. While they persist in their sins, they shall not take of this food which Christ has ordained only for his believers. Otherwise, their judgment and condemnation will be the heavier. But all this, beloved brothers and sisters, is not meant to discourage broken and contrite hearts, as if only those who are without sin may come to the table of the Lord. For we do not come to this supper to declare that we are perfect and righteous in ourselves. On the contrary, we seek our life outside of ourselves in Jesus Christ. And in doing so, we acknowledge that we are dead in ourselves. We also are aware of our many sins and shortcomings. We do not have perfect faith. We do not serve God with such zeal as he requires. Daily, we have to contend with the weakness of our faith and the evil desires of our flesh. Yet by the grace of the Holy Spirit, we are heartily sorry for these shortcomings. We desire to fight against our unbelief and to live according to all the commandments of God. Therefore, we may be fully assured that no sin or weakness, which still remains in us against our will, can prevent us from being received by God in grace and from being made worthy partakers of this heavenly food and drink. Let's now consider for what purpose the Lord has instituted his supper, namely that we should use it in remembrance of him. We are to remember him in the following manner. First of all, let us fully trust that our Lord Jesus Christ was sent by the Father into this world according to the promises made from the, old, from the beginning to the fathers in the Old Testament, and that he assumed our flesh and blood. From the beginning of his incarnation to the end of his life on earth, he bore for us the wrath of God, under which we should have perished eternally. By his perfect obedience, he has for us fulfilled all the righteousness of God's law. We remember in particular that the weight of the wrath of God caused by our sins pressed out of him sweat like drops of blood falling on the ground in the Garden of Gethsemane. There he was bound that he might free us from our sins. He suffered countless insults that we might never be put to shame. Though innocent, he was condemned to death that we might be acquitted at the judgment seat of God. He even let his blessed body be nailed to the cross that he might cancel the bond which stood against us because of our sins. By all this, he has taken our curse upon himself, that he might fill us with his blessing. On the cross, he humbled himself in body and soul to the very deepest shame and anguish of hell. Then he called out with a loud voice, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That we might be accepted by God and nevermore be forsaken by him. Finally, by his death and the shedding of his blood, he confirmed the new and eternal testament, the covenant of grace, when he said, it is finished. In order that we might firmly believe that we belong to this covenant of grace, the Lord Jesus Christ, during his last Passover, instituted the Holy Supper. He gave the bread and the cup to his disciples in remembrance of him, and he taught us to understand that as often as we eat this bread and drink from this cup, we are reminded and assured of his hearty love and faithfulness towards us. It is a sure pledge that he has given his body and shed his blood for us. Otherwise, we would have suffered eternal death. He nourishes and refreshes our hungry and thirsty souls with his crucified body and shed blood to everlasting life, as certainly as this bread is broken before our eyes and this cup is given to us and we eat and drink in remembrance of him. 
From this institution of the Holy Supper of our Lord Jesus Christ, we learn that he directs our faith and trust to his perfect sacrifice once offered on the cross. It is the only ground of our salvation. Thereby he has become to our hungry and thirsty souls the true food and drink of life eternal. For by his death he has removed the cause of our eternal hunger and misery, which is sin, and obtained for us the life-giving spirit. By this spirit who dwells in Christ as the head and in us as his members, we have true communion with him, and we share in all his riches life eternal, righteousness, and glory. By the same spirit, we are also united in true brotherly love as members of one body. For the Apostle Paul says, because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. As one bread is baked out of many grains and one wine is pressed out of many grapes, so we all, incorporated in Christ by faith, are together one body. For the sake of Christ, who so exceedingly loved us first, we shall now love one another and shall show this to one another, not just in words, but also in deeds. Finally, Christ has commanded us to celebrate the Holy Supper until he comes. We receive at his table a foretaste of the abundant joy which he has promised, and we look forward to the marriage feast of the Lamb, when he will drink the wine new with us in the kingdom of his Father. Let us rejoice and give him the glory, for the marriage feast of the Lamb is coming. May the almighty, heavenly God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ help us in this through his Holy Spirit. Amen. To receive all this, let's now humble ourselves before God in prayer and let's call upon him in true faith. Merciful God and Father, we thank you that in this supper we cherish the blessed memory of the bitter death of your dear Son, Jesus Christ. Work in our hearts through the Holy Spirit so that we may entrust ourselves more and more to your Son, Jesus Christ. Grant that our contrite hearts may be nourished with his true body and blood, as with him who is the only heavenly bread, that we may not live in our sins, but Christ in us and we in him. Let us so truly be partakers of the new and everlasting testament, the covenant of grace, that we do not doubt that you will forever be our gracious Father, nevermore imputing to us our sins, but providing us with all things for body and soul as your dear children and heirs. Grant us your grace, Father, that we may take up our cross joyfully, deny ourselves, and confess our Savior. Let us in all tribulation await our Lord Jesus Christ, who will come from heaven and change our mortal body to be like his glorious body and to take us to himself forever. Hear us through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Brothers and sisters, let's now make a profession of our Catholic and undoubted Christian faith. Let's do so by singing together from hymn one. You're invited to rise.
Brothers and sisters, in order that we may now be nourished with Christ, the true heavenly bread, who is not cling with our hearts to the outward symbols of bread and wine, we must live our, lift our hearts on high in heaven where Christ our advocate is at the right hand of his heavenly Father. Let's not doubt that we'll be nourished and refreshed in our souls with his body and blood through the working of the Holy Spirit as truly as we receive the holy bread and drink in remembrance of him. In preparation for the table, let's sing together from hymn 59, verse 1. Then after that, all confessing members of the congregation here in Southern River are invited to attend the Lord's table. We also invite several visitors who have provided an attestation of their faith to the consistory. In the first place, brother and sister Christiane and Marlies Willis from the American Reformed Church of Nooksack Valley. And also brother Stefan Powells from the Free Reformed Church of South Africa. That's the uh, Pretoria Maranatha congregation. You're also welcome as well. And then if you're not a member of this congregation or if you're not one of the announced visitors, we ask that you not come forward to join with us in eating and drinking at the table. That's not a judgment on your faith or your relationship with Christ because we haven't been able to ascertain that. Rather, it's because the Lord teaches us, 1 Corinthians 11, that the Lord's Supper is a communal celebration. It must be kept holy and promote the unity of faith within the congregation. And so for this reason, attendance at the Lord's Supper is closely supervised. It's an effort to ensure that guests are true believers, they're faithful in their adherence to the Lord's, to the Reformed faith, and that they also lead a godly life. Even though you can't come to the table with us, we encourage you to continue worshiping with us by observing the celebration and also hearing the preaching. May the Lord edify you in your faith and build you up. So let's sing together, brothers and sisters. We're going to sing from... Hymn 59, verse 1.
Brothers and sisters, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat from it all of you. Remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take some bread and eat. The cup of blessing for which we give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink from it all of you. Remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. So the, the middle ring is um, some grape juice, but please take and drink. The first passage I'd like to read with you this morning is taken from the book of Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul spells out how our life changes after we come to know to be made alive in Christ. So Ephesians chapter 4, we're going to read together the verses 1, 2, and 3. Ephesians 4, verse 1. Page 1161, I therefore, prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. So far, let's sing together from hymn 79, verse 1.
Brothers and sisters, once again, the bread which you break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat from it, all of you. Remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take and eat. The cup of blessing for which you give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink from it, all of you. Remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please help yourself. The next passage I'd like to read with you is taken from the book of Titus, from Titus chapter 3. We're going to read together the verses 1 through 2, 1 to 2. So Paul is teaching Titus about life in the congregation, how people ought to, to handle themselves. He says in Titus 3 verse 1, Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy to all people. So far, let's sing together from hymn 79 verse 2.
Brothers and sisters, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat from it, all of you. Remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take and eat. The cup of blessing for which you give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink from it all of you, remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please help yourself. The next passage I'd like to read with you is taken from James chapter 3. We're going to read together from James 3, the verses 13 to 18. You find that on page 1201 of your Bible. So in James 3, we start reading at verse 13. There God's word says, Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his work in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. So far. Let's now sing together from hymn 79, verse 3.
Brothers and sisters, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat from it all of you, remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please take some and eat. The cup of blessing for which you give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink from it all of you, remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please help yourself. The next passage I'd like to read with you in the scriptures is taken from 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to read together from 1 Peter 3, the verses 1 through 4. There it speaks of gentleness as something which is very precious in God's sight. Page 1205. 1 Peter 3, verse 1, Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that if, even if some do not obey the word, they may, be one over, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. So far. Let's sing together hymn 79, verse 4.
Brothers and sisters, once again, the bread which we break is the communion of the body of Christ. Take, eat from it, all of you. Remember and believe that the body of our Lord Jesus Christ was broken for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please help yourselves. The cup of blessing for which you give thanks is the communion of the blood of Christ. Take, drink from it, all of you. Remember and believe that the precious blood of our Lord Jesus Christ was poured out for the complete forgiveness of all our sins. Please help yourselves. Beloved in the Lord, since the Lord has now nourished our souls at his table, let us together praise his holy name. Let everyone say in his heart, Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your iniquities, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, and who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy. The Lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he hold on to his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father shows compassion on his children, So the Lord shows compassion on those who fear him. He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? But God shows his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since therefore we have been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Therefore my heart and my mouth shall proclaim the praise of the Lord from now on and forevermore. Amen. Let us sing together from hymn 79 verse 5.
Let's now call upon the Lord in thanksgiving and prayer. In our prayer this morning, we'll remember with gratitude our sister Honey Wagoner. She received the news this past week that she does not have cancer. They found some scarring on her lungs, but it's not cancerous at all. So that's very good news. We're really grateful to God for that. Let's pray to God. Merciful God and Father, we thank you that in your boundless mercy, you have given us your only begotten Son as our mediator. We praise you, Lord, that he is the sacrifice for our sins and our food and drink to life eternal. We thank you that you give us a true faith through which we may share in such great benefits. Through your Son, you've instituted the Holy Supper for the strengthening of our faith. We earnestly ask you, faithful God and Father, that by your Holy Spirit, this celebration may lead to our daily increase in true faith and fellowship with Christ, your beloved Son. Father, we also pray that you please accept our gratitude for the gifts that you've given us. We're so grateful, Lord, that, that we heard the news with our sister Wagonar that, that she does not have cancer. Lord, we're thankful for the way that you can teach, preserve her life. We're thankful for the, for the blessing that you give and the health that you provide. We ask that you be near to her and also to her husband, that you surround them with your love and care, and that you continue to look after them. Father, please give them the peace of Christ, and thank you so much for the, for the peace that you have given. We're also grateful, Lord, that our brother Wallington Half could come out of the hospital again. But we want to pray that you would continue to be near to our brother. Please surround him and his wife with your love and with your peace as well. Please take care of the other members of our congregation. There's some of the, the elderly members who are not able to be with us here today, Lord. They, they would love to be here and they're not able. We ask that you surround them with your care, that they may be, be encouraged through the promises of the gospel and that you would grant your grace and your peace in rich measure. Please bless us in a moment, Lord. We're hoping to meet as congregation for the election of office bearers. I want to pray for a blessing over the meeting that we have together. We want to ask that you please grant us your spirit. Please forgive us for all our sins. Please hear our prayer and do it in Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Brothers and sisters, you have the opportunity to give your thank offerings. The collection this morning is for the Ministry of Mercy, and after the collection, we're going to sing together from hymn 42, the verses 1 and 2.
receive now the grace of the Lord Jesus, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and the love of God, and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.